Hello there and welcome to this episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. My chosen charity partner is, as always, Jigsaw.ie. If you have a couple of quid to spare this week, maybe kick it in over there at Jigsaw.ie. They're an incredible Irish youth mental health charity helping to equip young people across Ireland with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life beyond the pandemic. That uh, is a neat little tie-in for our episode this Monday when Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid is back with my wife Tina straight out of the recovery bed. She's back in the hot seat with Jen Trecek who worked at Jigsaw for five years and now runs her own company. This is an extraordinary episode, a lot of fun, a lot of great questions from you, the listeners, on what it is we can do with our kids their anxiety in this uncertain world that we're living in. I mean, if ever there's an episode that we need, it's this one. I get this, the flood of emails that we got with questions on this really overwhelmed us. So we brought in Jen Trachek and she does deliver the goods. That's coming out on Monday. It's available over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It's a patron exclusive. So if you feel like supporting our show, there's never been a better week to do so. I mean, it was going to be a celebratory week on Irishman Running Abroad this Tuesday, but you might have already seen it. The Breaking 20 Challenge culminated at Lee Valley Velo Park on Saturday when I and my pacemakers, Paul Brennan, James Carty, Peter Clark and David Whitney, who tagged along as well in the Irishman Running Abroad jersey, did our level best to break 20. Now we came up 12 seconds short. It's a fun story and one that I'm I'm very happy to troll over the ashes of it because, you know, it uh, it didn't quite the questions didn't suit you, as Larry Gogan would say. It it just wasn't in the tank on Saturday. But, you know, there's there's so much more to come from this challenge. It's not over yet. Sonia Sullivan will be back on Tuesday to talk us through that. We might even get a couple of the pacers on to talk about what exactly went wrong. 12 seconds. I mean, gutting, absolutely gutting, to say the least. Well, what can I say about our guest today on the big interview here on Irishman Abroad? Jack Carroll is a one-off. I mean, he's basically a child genius when it came to stand-up comedy. That's not an exaggeration because in 2010, at the age of 12, he came to the attention of Jason Manford for performing at his parents' wedding anniversary. That video is available on YouTube now. You can go back and see literally his first ever gig. It prompted Jason to invite him to support him on his tour in front of 1,400 people at St. George's Hall in Bedford. And the performance was featured on the BBC One series, The The One Show, which you may know, which Jason was hosting at the time. It's an extraordinary path and it's an extraordinary journey from there to competing in the 2013 series of Britain's Got Talent at the age of 14. He finishes runner-up and his life in comedy is set. Uh, this is, you know, before you even mention the fact that Jack suffers from cerebral palsy and how he uses that disability as a vehicle for so many of his routines. There's a lot to talk about here and so much of getting to talk to Jack is just kind of coming to understand the mind of the man, the toughness and brilliance of his wit 
I'm so glad we managed to make this episode happen. And I'd known for a long time that this man had an awful lot of Irish blood in him. Uh, but I let him explain that right off the top. It's the Jack Carroll episode of An Irish Man Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Jack Carroll, it's fantastic to have you on the Irishman Abroad. We should get this out of the way early doors. What exactly is your Irish heritage and how far back onto the famine ships do we need to go to find it? Quite, uh, quite a way. So from, from my own both kind of uh, uh, investigate from my own investigations into it, both chatting to my family members and doing a little bit of digging through my kind of uh, family tree in the way that, that everyone did during the beginning of the lockdown, I think. So I think we got here quite late into the 1800s, like 18, 1847 sticks out, but that might be, that may be incorrect. Um, so the the story I heard that the, the first of my family to arrive over from Castle Bar uh, in Mayo arrived with, with only his shoes tied around his neck by the laces because we're, we're a very frugal bunch and we didn't want to we didn't want to wear out our shoes and then kind of from then on from what i can gather because the, the other the other thing with it you're try, trying to trace any irish history is that people weren't that big on birth certificates mm. and not on all that kind of thing so it was a little bit of a slog trying to piece together what had happened but i think um <sighs> I think when my family at some point took in two other families, two other families because of the, obviously a big explosion in the kind of um, Irish community in Bradford in West Yorkshire at that time, and then um, I think we we kind of kept tried to keep that community up through throughout the years. So like my my great uncle visited Ireland a lot and, and kind of you know imbued everybody with that with that kind of spirit even though it was kind of years before his time even and then obviously in the kind of early 70s there was again another big kind of influx of of uh irish people particularly from uh mayo again and then that kind of with my uncles and, and my dad and that drinking in those pubs and and um you know, hanging around that community, that kind of reinvigorated their kind of sense of, of Irishness and stuff. So Yeah, and of um, course your name kind of so was... so Irish, such an Irish name, of course. They're like, that would yes. be the connection, uh, of course. Indeed. But it wasn't that you were like the Gallagher brothers, that you were constantly being fed traditional music the whole time, was it? 
Yeah, no, my dad's a big fan of those. Of uh, uh, and and from my great uncle, he's a big fan of those kind of Wolf Tones and Dubliners records and stuff. So I've I've grown up on like a lot of that, uh, a lot of that kind of Irish music and and stuff. Which I think it is an odd thing that it does kind of uh, as kind of trite as it sounds. It, it, it's I think we have, we have done quite a good job of of keeping a a cultural uh, connection. I think um, yeah, but so Ireland much of that cultural connection is is humour and is wit, mm. and you you definitely recognise that when you move to England, uh, how much the darker Irish humour or the sense of laughing when things are tough is so integral mm. to the identity. Do you remember the wit and kind of Irish darker humour arriving in your house, or your first acknowledgement that? in your home when things are tough you have to laugh yeah i think that you know because that is the the kind of sheltering of that existence is that it's i always thought everyone's family was like that mm. kind of thing like you you just that is the that is the modus operandi by which you all operate with one another uh, and then you get into the world and kind of find out that isn't the case but it certainly has been through through my whole experiences like that that's everything seems to be about you know when everyone gathers around it all seems to be about getting getting laughs and kind of you know entertaining and and and, and uh you know make, make making people laugh it do, that that certainly is a big kind of staple of of any uh, of any family gathering and one one that I'm you know incredibly grateful for because I think as well as <laughs> as well as kind of the the kind of immediate reaction you get from it. I think it does, like you say, it gives you a sense of perspective about any difficulties that you may, mm. you may uh, be experiencing. It kind of, it catches you a little bit to the point where, you know, the, 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 the it, that sense of perspective makes harsh things less, less harsh on you, I think. A hundred percent. I mean, and it, you, even to this day, like last week, obviously my wife had COVID and, you know, you are, in the business and in a job where when the going gets tough, you immediately think, oh, here we go. <laughs> there's there's yeah, yeah. material here. Yes. And it is, yes. it, in some ways it is, it does trace itself back that intuition that there's going to be laughs at this funeral. <laughs> as sad mm. as this is going to be, we will yeah. have uh, this richness of light and shade. Did that? Yeah. Yeah, like I just feel like we share that mutual language as comics, but with your Irish background, that must have come into play early on in your life. I felt, especially when I look back on your first ever gig, which is now immortalized on YouTube, you standing up at mm. your parents' silver wedding anniversary and, you know, really blowing the doors off this room as a mm. child. And even yeah. with the, the, the darkness of your, even your opening joke is quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe my dad had just got up and made made some kind of uh, lovey dovey speech about how wonderful the uh, the marriage had been and all that. And I I I got up and the first thing I said was, uh, "That's a lot of rubbish. They're going through divorce proceedings right now." <laughs> uh, and what age are you at that point? I was uh, eleven. I was eleven back then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's not normal. You know that now. <laughs> that's that's uh, weird. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like 
there was a kind of um, a certain amount of fortune in that I kind of had worked out even at that age that that that's what I wanted to do, which I realise now is not is not normal. I think like and and that could possibly you know, but I think like it's interesting talking about this stuff because we all fall back on our own per on our own personal myth and and backstory, don't we? And I think um, kind of cerebral palsy certainly had something to do with that because um, I I think that that gay has given great meaning to my life in as much as I think it's responsible for enhancing my ability to kind of communicate verbally and think on my feet quickly because you know I had no other choice really and and that I think as as kind of be, being the, the bedrock by which I've done everything else so you know I'm, I'm fortunate in that respect that I did kind of know what know what I wanted even at that age I think I, I've heard you say that it was even before that that it was six and seven you spent a degree of time in hospital undergoing operations and you essentially engaged in a bit of gluttony in terms of comedy yeah that you basically consumed huge quantity of it and rather than it turning you off it like the kids smoking all the cigarettes you were hooked. yeah 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 and i think i think there was something in there that yeah so so i did i had like um three or four months where i had to recuperate and i could do nothing but so i just watched comedy dvds the whole time and um you know people i was was surprised that i was getting the the jokes at that age but but yeah i i loved it i like i thought this is this is great this and i think you know i think um i'd always been interested in kind of uh in writing and and you know creativity right from being a, a kind of young kid and i think you, you know I, I found a kind of genre to be able to the pace that kind of stuff on um and and again that you know it's it's whatever we're affected by as a young a young kid. I think that stays with us through, through the uh, through the rest of you know the rest of our carry on and um, and you know luckily luckily I, I did uh, I, I come from a, all the kind of um, the the building blocks were there in that I come from a funny family as an appreciation of comedy and um, they introduced me to certain things and you know. And uh, and the rest is the rest is history. Well, they they definitely put you on the right DVDs. I mean, they clearly like they could have given you DVDs that you you would have been turned off by. But instead, yeah. you clearly got the gold. You mentioned Steve Coogan, another Irish yes. man abroad. Uh, who... Exactly. <laughs> I think Steve Coogan's got a really interesting thing about like um, his comedies. Uh, a lot of it is kind of. It's a dose of healthy suspicion about the British, which mm. I think is an interesting, an, an interesting idea, and and something that that I I would say that 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 I've experienced it as well, um, and uh, and so yeah, I've, I've I've always kind of, you know, you can see the Irishness in there definitely in the stuff he does. If I was to read the the research again, it feels like that's when your life began, that you don't mm. seem to talk that much about the years prior to I know we don't have a huge recollection of the years one to mm. six, but you know, you certainly do have uh, pinpoints uh, before mm. this absorbent mind hits on this, you know, this oil that is going to fuel the engine from mm. this point forward. 
when was the first time that you kind of had a, a kind of darkness about the future of your life, about what the world had in store for you or whether any of it was fair? Mm. I think that's interesting again, because I remember when I was on when I was on the show, when I was on Britain's Got Talent, Bruce Dessau wrote an article on his website basically saying this kid's really good, but it remains to be seen if he will still be able to be really good once the kind of complications that come with reaching a certain age, you know, start to, to, to visit him. And I, I, now in hindsight, I find that really interesting take because it's like up until being about kind of, you know, when I did the show, Britain's Got, when I did Britain's Got Talent, 13, 14, up until kind of being 15, 16, I kind of had this very gung-ho, fuck it, why not, you know, go and do it kind of attitude, which I think is of great, because I, I maybe would have not done Britain's Got Talent had I been uh, a little bit older because you're more aware of the variables. So, mm. you know, it's, it's great that I did it at the age that I did. And then, obviously, yeah, I think um, I was talking about this the other week. It's like that kind of uh, adult world-weary darkness starts to creep in. And then you think, oh, uh, what, I, what I thought <laughs> was something wrong with me at that age. I think now I look back that, then and I go... You know, that was just me getting older. There's nothing wrong with mm. that. I think you do mm. get a little bit beaten down and a little bit more aware of certain things. And and that's not to say that that's uh, necessarily a bad thing for comedy. I think things just, and your attitude to things just slightly changes. Wow. Well, like, I, I don't want to press too much on this because it's obvious when you and I do urge people to look at that video of your first gig because yeah you mentioned gung-ho and that attitude of fuck it let's have a go at this it's all yeah. over you I mean I just thought there yeah. must have been so much love in this home for you to be like this is me I like there's such a I think the thing that really stands out and you often see this when you watch open spots how comfortable is this person in their skin in who they are you're 110 yeah. percent comfortable in your skin at 11 yeah. years old is that brought about yeah. by just unequivocal unadulterated never-ending love from your parents 100 percent. i would say that they have got an enormous enormous amount to do with with that that you said that feeling confident in yourself i think um they're both funny as well in their in their own their own kind of ways, but I think mm. yeah, that is a thing of of it was never a question that that I wouldn't feel comfortable. It, it was never that yeah, there was never uh, there was never any suggestion in my in my mind that 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 it could be a reality that that you know I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable with who I was for, uh, and that and and that is. 100% down to them because they they went above and beyond to kind of make life easier and more manageable for me both from a practical standpoint but then as well just kind of um you know I think uh supporting me once I worked out what I wanted to do supporting me in that wholeheartedly and kind of 
earlier on than that, yeah, like you say, just a kind of um, an unconditional acceptance and a, a and a and a love and a kind of an unquestioning kind of sense that 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 there would be there would be no uncomfortability as far as I as I was concerned. It it didn't even enter enter the playing field really. Wow. Well, we're going to need to do a little bit of. Uh you know, chronology here in terms of, yeah. you know, how you get to that show, which is obviously so important to your story and, you know, what would come after. How important is Jason Manford in all of this, a previous guest of our show and someone who is incredibly giving when he finds new talent? How important is he to this story? Yeah, so Jason, my the kind of association with Jason, um, began so I, he had um someone had sent him a clip of the the clip that you've seen of me at my mum and dad's silver wedding anniversary again a kind of testament to their to their uh support of me that they would even consider letting me get up and do that rather than actually letting <laughs> me um uh so someone had sent him that clip on on twitter uh, and jason was working on the one show uh at the time and um and basically turned up at my house uh, kind of unannounced and, and let me support him in, in Bradford on that night. And they filmed it for the one show. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Like, uh, we don't we don't really speak, you know, I wouldn't say he's one of like my closest friends in comedy or anything like that, but even though I'm supporting him again uh, in a couple of months' time, which would be absolutely lovely. But it's that, it's that kind of thing of like, when you look back, there are certain significant um, events out there, and um, uh, and that's certainly one of those. And for, and for that, you know, uh, I'll be forever indebted to, to Jason, and and um, you know that that was a huge, huge moment in terms of uh, my comedy career. And uh, there was a funny thing on the day on the day I was filming live at the Apollo, I um, I dug out a DVD that Jason signed for me, which was. He'd written in the inside jacket cover, uh, "See you on live at the Apollo one day," and I just I sent him that on the day, and it was like there there are those moments where, like you say in the chronology, things come full circle, and that was certainly one of those satisfying times. I mean, it's dropping the ladder, isn't it? He he didn't mm. have to do it; uh, he could no. have just carried on very comfortably where he was, but exactly he made, he made the decision to do this because everybody exactly. does need that hand up somebody to just kind of even just nowadays it is a case of if if one person vouches for you it can change your life but he i need to go through this he arrived at the door you say like like proper like noel edmonds house party yeah yeah you're gonna support me and bradford tonight and um and yeah and kind of um he came into the kitchen and all that, and we filmed a little bit there. And it was, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's uh, a kind of a testament to his kind of easy way with people that, that that was something he was just able to do, you know, able to do naturally. And it is that thing of like uh, just <laughs> that he did turn up and, and let an 11 year old kid open his shirt. Like that is, again, it takes the same leap, leap of faith that, that my, uh, that my parents had in me, I suppose, that, 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 that someone would let you do that. I think I've been very fortunate in that respect that people have 
even from a young age shown faith in me and then obviously that gets that reinforces certain things then so you know i think like that is certainly responsible for where I've, where i find myself now where, wherever that is well there's so many comics that have started early and most of them are legends like dave Chappelle, eddie murphy are just yeah. the two that spring to mind bill hicks i mean those are the people that we hear of who could do it while mm. still a child <laughs> yes I mean, it is it, like half of the the joke with dylan moran when he started they said was it was this ancient man's voice <laughs> coming from this <laughs> child's face <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, obviously you know some of what was funny right away was the optics this mm. this this upstart who by mm. by all the stereotypes should be hiding in the corner uh, trying to create mm. as little fuss as possible is out here mm. pulling the piss out of himself <laughs> yeah, yeah when that's what he's he's probably had to fight up until now he's yeah. beating everybody yeah. to the punch uh, yes you have to have a consciousness of that but you still must have experienced some level of nerves before going on at that young age uh, or was it just a case of no i was just totally gung ho i was like fuck it let's go I was very, I was very much gung ho, and it's kind of you don't think about the. I, I think that's one of the big things. Like you've just mentioned, the perception that other people had of it. There, I didn't think about that at all at the time. I was just doing what I thought was funny and interesting, and would work for the show. Like I didn't think of an outward perception particularly, um, and and I think that's where probably a lot of the kind of um, the immediacy of it lies. And so maybe. I, I think, you know, I still look back at those clips and kind of go, some of the best stuff I did was, some of that's really good stuff, probably mm. probably better than, I probably <laughs> lost some, because I'm used to doing, uh, you know, longer sets and, and kind of being able to elaborate more. I think I lost some of that. I've lost some of that, and I've certainly lost some of the feel, fearlessness in my life and in my comedy. And, um, well, maybe not in my comedy, I haven't lost the fearlessness there, but I've I've certainly, like, you know, I've lost, I think I've lost a little bit of that immediacy and a little bit of that kind of, you know, uh, but, but, but maybe that's been replaced by a little bit more craft and you kind of, you make do with what you've got, I suppose. There's a couple of things there that I don't know if, you know, non-stand-up people will understand or make head or tail of that when you say I lost some immediacy and it was replaced with a bit of craft, I mean... Mm. I think we need to pull that apart a tiny bit because I get what you're saying just from knowing what this is. I've been doing it mm. since 2004 and I know that yeah. in the early days you'd go on with something that's untried and mm. sometimes the spontaneity uh, and just how alive that piece was would carry it. Am I on the right track here in what I'm saying? And that later yes, on, sure. 10 years in, you're much more likely to go, that's a good idea. I'll go home and work on that and bring it back in and possibly lose yeah. what was golden about it initially. Yeah, because it's not necessarily that, the so, you know, my subject matter now is more, probably more garish and outlandish than, than it's possibly ever been. But it's not, 
it's more thought out that's for sure and i think you do kind of lose some of that there is a sense that the kind of uh, i'm t- t- trying to to explain it in uh, less esoteric terms but the kind of sense that that with the ability to know that to see beyond the curtain and know how the ride works becomes comes a little bit of um, a jaded a jaded feeling which probably makes you a more consummate comedian but i don't know whether it's i don't know whether it leaves you might also make you a less exciting comedian at the same it's, time. It's so funny you say it, because I always, I feel this too, right? And I don't know a comic that doesn't feel this after a certain amount of time. But I always go back to Tommy Tiernan's advice, which was, you have to forget your jokes <laughs> before you go on. Yeah. And it's such a great piece of advice that you can remember <laughs> them as you say them. Uh, and that yeah. way it's the first time you've ever told them. You've to absolutely yeah. clear your mind. Uh, but that's again, it's it's quite hard to do on the fourth night in somewhere you don't really want to be where you're a little bit hungover, a little bit tired. Yeah. And you kind of there are nights where you have to go through the motions that you kind of have mm. to grind out a one nil win. <laughs> yes. <at> Barnsley. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but you weren't there at that point. Obviously, you weren't getting booked in clubs at the age of 11. How many no. gigs had you done before Jason arrives at the front door? And how many gigs came in between that and Britain's Got Talent? I'd just done uh, one other gig before Jason got in touch. What? Uh, which, again, was not, not in a comedy setting. Yeah. Um, and after? And uh, I mean, in between that and Britain's Got Talent, I think I went down to Excess Malarkey in Manchester and did one warm-up before I went and did Britain's Got Talent. Um, and so, you know, I had no kind of... Because it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, you, when you play in clubs, it's a kind of balance between creativity and what works in that environment. And that's a balance that, that I hadn't yet had to strike. You know, I, I had no idea really about about format or any of that kind of thing. I just went and said, you know, said what was, what was uh, in my, you know, a lot of the time on Britain's Got Talent, like I, I would just go, I would say, I would I would tell them I was going to do one thing and then go out and do something else. Really? Because that was uh, going to be my next question was how much did they try to get their fingers in the pie? They, um, I think that's the interesting thing. Like, um, Again, probably youthful exuberance on my behalf that I would go out and do, you know, because now I'd go, fuck, you know, there's 11 million people watching, I'd better stick to what I know works. But they, they I think it's an interesting thing with Britain's Got Talent, because you hear all these kind of um, horror stories of, of exploitation and, you know, all that and, and that kind of thing. But they, 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 from my perspective, they were just trying to make as good a television programme as possible. Mm. And luckily, even then, I had the kind of courage of my convictions and knew, I think I had a good sense of, of what worked and what, and what didn't. So anything that they said that I thought would not would not fly, uh, I didn't do. And I didn't, you know, they didn't make me do them. I mean, we're forgetting here that you're 14 at the time mm. i mean i mm. remember what i was doing at 14 and i certainly didn't have the courage <laughs> to uh, stand up to grown-ups in suits and with earpieces and clipboards 
who yeah. knew everything, I certainly wouldn't have had the courage to stand up to them. Did you have well, your folks there going, yeah, no, Jack, my, you do my, what you want? Yeah, my bellwether was my mum and dad. And like, you know, I think they've got quite good taste in in certain areas. And like, so they'd send a suggestion through and we'd be like, oh, this is a bit weird. I probably won't do that. And so, it's, you know, it's always good to, to have those those people to send off of. Yeah, I mean, the the outcome of it, I mean, is on the one hand, a springboard to a career in entertainment that a lot of people would give their right arm for that mm. acts right now that are spinning their wheels on the open mic circuit dream mm. of getting the leg up that you had. Mm. But on the other hand, it's also just as the way teenagers right now are so self-conscious of being filmed, you have a bunch of footage and material that you nearly can't escape. How quickly were you aware of these fucking YouTube videos are going to be around forever? I st well, I still get people saying, oh, I saw your YouTube video and stuff. Like people from um, foreign countries or whatever that stumble across it, they mm. kind of, they then find me on Twitter or whatever and are surprised that I haven't stayed in stasis as that kind of uh, weird man boy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, and that and that's an interesting thing. And I think, like you said, there's 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 people who would be very grateful for that opportunity. And I I I've never kind of forgotten the platform that they gave me. And whenever, you know, whenever I can help them out, as I'm sure I, I definitely will, because you know I'll I'll always say good things about them because I'm you know hugely grateful for what, for what they did for me. But I think, in as much as I didn't really care about the, the variables and, and, you know, things that could go wrong with doing that show. I did also have a sense of you've got to take, and I think this is where some comedians could go slightly wrong when they go on these kind of shows is I think you've got to use it for your own ends and know what you know, what you're getting into and how to use that platform. And I think if you go in there slightly, naively and, f and follow along with what the the kind of receive wisdom from from them is then then you might not have such a great time but fortunately you know i i kind of had the sense that yeah i'm gonna gonna kind of you know i, I know what this is and it's a quick fast way to to kind of uh, catapult yourself into national consciousness and kind of and i knew that going in i think but, you know, you mentioned at the time that uh, you were keen to just get time off school uh, and that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's half the reason uh, lads play sport in school. It's like, we'll get yeah. to go on the minibus and go to yeah, McDonald's. Exactly. I, um, I couldn't be arsed with school. And if you, you know, filming's a lot, a lot easier gig than fucking sitting in a classroom. Huge thanks to Jack for this first part of my conversation with him. If you'd like to hear the rest, and I really urge you to hear the rest of this chat, it is available now in full over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. Join up and become a supporter of what we do here at Irishman Abroad. It's really the only way that I can continue to make the podcast that I make for you. In return, you'll get Sonia O'Sullivan every Tuesday with her running tips and wellness guide. On Friday, you'll get Marion McKeown helping us understand 
America and the Ukraine and what is taking place and where Donald Trump is going to fit into that over the next couple of years. She's at CPAC right now. Next week, we'll talk to her about the craziness that will go down there and an awful lot more. But you'll also get access to the full archive of Irishman Abroad episodes. And if you're a comedy fan, there really is quite a lot to choose from there, from Chris O'Dowd to Sharon Horgan, Dylan Moran to Jason Byrne to uh, Dara O'Brien, Stuart Lee, Bridget Christie, just to name a few of the great comics that we've had on there uh, over the years. It's five a month. It's the price of a coffee. Uh, in a in a fancy place <laughs> come on over patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and of course you'll get access to our exclusive series another new exclusive series that started in January called Honey You're Ruining Our Kid with my wife the child behaviour expert and ultrasound head Tina Regan who is back this week to talk about the anxiety and mental toll that this pandemic and this world is taking on our kids we'll be joined by Jen Trechek uh, formerly of Jigsaw.ie, now with Pathway. You don't want to miss that chat if you're a parent. Trust me, some of the questions that were submitted are astonishingly good and will apply no matter what your situation, no matter what your relation is to the kids in your life. It will be helpful to hear these two go over these questions. Brian Connolly is on sound. John Maher does the extra research and so does Tina, it has to be said. I want to give a big shout out and thank you to Tina and Mikey this week for making Breaking 20 nearly come off. I will be back on Tuesday with Sonia to trawl over it and figure out how we're going to make this right. Thank you so much for listening. Join us. Support us over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad.